Ulterior. Hear me, all subjects of Emir. My name is Aaron Yeager. So, I actually... I haven't caught up on the Attack on Titan anime yet, um, but I have read and completed the manga, so everything that's happening right now in the series, it's not new to me, um, but, like, I feel this sense of, like, I guess excitement or happiness for the people who only watch the anime and they're getting to see the story, like, near its conclusion for the very first time and see it be animated and that's the thing that i'm mostly excited for when it comes to catching up on the show is to see everything be animated and like just see how everything like plays out in this medium in this format and it's really really fucking cool man i adore attack on titan to the fullest extent it's my favorite anime ever maybe just my favorite tv show ever in general um and then if you expand into the manga my favorite like entertainment based series ever and i God, I can't, like, I genuinely can't emphasize enough, like, what that series as a whole has meant to me, and I am, you know, forever in depth to Attack on Titan the way that I am with a lot of the music that I cover on this show, so, you know, if I'm giving all this time to music, then maybe someday I can dedicate the time to an episode specifically about Attack on Titan, but, you know, w once that happens, if it ever happens, I'll worry about it then, um... Hi, I am Artisan, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as, uh, and yeah, there's not really much else to say for an intro, so uh, this episode is going to look at singles from the likes of uh, Lights, Monuments, Holofront, uh, MGK, a couple of others that we'll get into, and then new records from, let me pull this up to make sure I have all this correct, uh, Smart Death, Afterthought, Lightwave, Soft Cult, Knuckle Puck, Circus Survive, and As It Is. So, yeah, thanks everyone. Enjoy this episode. I think as things stand right now, the only bit of, like, scene news, per se, that I want to mention right now for this episode is the fact that Don Broco got their first number one record ever last week in the UK with uh, Amazing Things, which released physically, finally, and yeah, that's uh, that's really cool, honestly, to see that happen. Uh, Broco, I've championed on this show in the past, I will continue to champion them. They mean so much to me, and it's incredible to see them reach this kind of a peak, uh, or a height, rather. Hopefully, it's not their peak. Um, but yeah, so uh, congratulations, Don Broco. Good for them. Good for all their fans. Uh, yeah, let's keep up that energy for the bands that deserve it. Um, so I'll go ahead and get into some singles right now. The first single being talked about, and also the number one ranked song in Scene Overlooked this past weekend, comes from Light, and it is called Salt and Vinegar. So Salt and Vinegar is the fourth single off of what we now know is called Pep. It is a brand new record from Lights out April 1st. So this joins uh, Beside Myself, 
uh, Real Thing and Prodigal Daughter as the singles for this record so far in its rollout. Um, it, it's been a long time coming, honestly. The, the last Lights record was like almost five years ago at this point. That was uh, Skin and Earth back in 2017. It was my record of the year that year. So, you know, I have all the hopes in the world for Pep. And thus far, no reason to doubt the like capabilities of this record and the potential that it has to make it a profound impact on me this year. Um, Salt and Vinegar, I think, is a highlight of the singles rollout so far. I really, really fucking enjoy this song. Um, it has like a similar kind of like, I don't want to say like dark energy, but there's like a little bit of like, uh, like a brooding pop sense to it in the same way that, uh, here by Alessia Cara back from 2015, it had that kind of an energy. Uh, I sense like a little bit of like no doubt in the possible influence for Salt and Vinegar. It's just like so like laid back and chill while also having this like, again, like kind of like a brooding instrumental backing to it. And just the way that Light is able to carry the song vocally, the way that she does everything else that she, uh, you know, attempts and achieves that, it is rewarding as fuck to be able to hear somebody as talented as lights delivering this caliber of a song and i have no reason to believe that she will not do the same for the rest of pep coming into this week i wasn't expecting to talk about monuments but i'm going to and it comes through the song cardinal red featuring mick gordon Gordon is not necessarily known for his, uh, like, lending a hand to the scene, per se. Uh, he is a music composer, mostly known for video games, and the, the two works of his that I am aware of are Doom and Doom Eternal. Um, he had a hand in the production of Parasite E by Bring Me the Horizon, and if I'm not mistaken, a, a couple of other songs off of Post Human. Um, but that kind of like that eerie factor that you can sense with Parasite Eve, that is what Mick Gordon brings to every project that he's a part of. And his work with Monuments, it really, really caught me off guard, took me by surprise. I was not expecting to enjoy this song nearly to the extent that I do. Uh, I like Monuments and I have for a long time. I, I've always said Andy Sizik is like, um, you know, one of the unsung heroes of our scene, but I'd be lying if I said that there was a monument song ever that like really, really captured me in the way that Cardinal Red has been able to. Cardinal Red, it embodies everything that I adore about metalcore. The heavy parts are just like so frantic and chaotic. And then when things are scaled back and you get that clean vocal uh, incorporation, it's done incredibly well. And again, like this really, really caught me off guard. Monuments, you know, has one of the, for me at least, the biggest and best surprises of 2022 so far. And I le legitimately cannot get enough of Cardinal Red. I've had it on repeat all weekend. For a minute, I thought maybe this was going to beat Salt and Vinegar for that number one spot in Scenic Overlook. Ultimately, it came in at number two, but I was not even expecting it to make the top 10, let alone fucking top two. So, Monuments, incredible work, and I cannot wait to hear what comes out next from this band. New Holofront single. I, I was really, really excited for this, and I was not let down whatsoever. The song is called Comatose. So 
So maybe in like a little bit of a similar sense to what I just mentioned with Monuments, Hollow Front, I have liked them for a while, uh, but I never really saw them before last August as like a, a pillar band potentially and a band that could really, really uh, uh, shape my year for the scene. Um, and then when Treading Water dropped last year, that was like a turning point for how I viewed Hollow Front, and it really, really opened my eyes to the talent found within that band, and a lot of the same is happening with Comatose. Uh, Comatose, it really dives into, like, what I love so much about the blend of metalcore and post-hardcore in the modern age, and similarly to what I mentioned about Monuments, again, like, you know, when it's heavy, it's, like, so blistering, and then when things slow down just slightly, it feels so enchanting and emotional and beautiful, and I, I love that about metalcore and post-hardcore, and when songs like Comatose are able to come into my life, it makes, you know, the, like, the darkness and the, the clouds hovering over me, not to be, like, so dramatic, but it makes, like, that, uh, dark factor in my life feel kind of clear for once, and it feels, like, just so euphoric in a lot of ways, and I, cannot thank Holofront enough for what they've done with Treading Water and Comatose and whatever is going to come next from this band because I really, really feel that something is on the horizon from Holofront that I will not feel like shutting the fuck up about. Y'all fuck with drugs? By drugs, I mean destroy, rebuild until God shows. A uh, new single for them, it is called Destiny. Anytime drugs does anything, I already have this like immediate emotional sentimental attachment to it just because of Craig Owens. So for those who don't know, Craig Owens is the vocalist of drugs, but he was also the vocalist of Chiodos, one of the most important and influential bands that I've ever come across in the scene. Like back when I was like 10, 11 years old, like All's Well That Ends Well, Bone Pals Ballet, like that shit meant something to me, dog. Like on a personal spiritual level, that is what Chiodos did for me. And I've always supported Craig Owens since then. I've always followed what he ever he does whether it be with Chiodos or drugs um drugs had one record back in 2011 and then no activity until right before the pandemic started in 2020 uh a song of theirs called king i am i think it got leaked it wasn't really meant to be released but then it was released and now it's not on spotify anymore for whatever reason but uh destiny is and destiny does everything that i adore about drugs and the like that that heavy factor the catchiness to its chorus the the way that craig's voice sounds as just like uh heavenly as it did in 2005 and 2006 2007 uh now I i'm stumbling over my words but like i'm really trying to emphasize like just what craig owens has meant to me what shields mean to me what drugs have meant to me and what i hope drugs continue to mean to me so Hopefully, this is the start of a new record cycle for drugs. That would, like, be, you know, one of the biggest dubs of the year for me personally in the scene. And for Destiny to potentially be the lead single off of that, there is a lot to look forward to when it comes to Destroy, Rebuild, Until God Shows. So I just mentioned like sentimental, emotional, emotional attachment, all that stuff with Craig Owens and Giotto's and drugs. Uh, the Devil Wars Prada, same story, new single out from them called Watchtower.
let's put aside Z2 and just look at the Devil Wars Prada in terms of record cycles and what they achieved on the act and how I feel like that is genuinely one of the coolest um, transitions I've ever seen a band make going from metalcore to something else. Um, Watchtower, I would say, is even a further evolution of that sound because Watchtower, it feels so like streamlined in comparison to what the divorce product normally do yet it has all of the characteristics that make them who they are make them one of the pillar bands of the last almost two decades at this point for me personally at least um just like this is one of the strongest courses i think prada have ever written um it, it feels like the band just like i don't want to say sounding their best because i have such an affinity for what they did with records like uh uh roots above branches below uh plagues that kind of stuff Yet, I can acknowledge that, like, for as much as I love the Devil Wars Prada from that time period in the 2000s, this is probably the most complete form of them that they've ever taken on, and this is them with just, like, you know, peak songwriting, peak capabilities, uh, potentially peak reach, because I think that they are uh, expanding that to an even broader audience, and I just love seeing people finally latch on to the Devil Wars Prada, even if it's coming, you know, fucking 2022 at this point, I, I, I'm so happy that the Devil Wars Prada are doing this kind of a sound this fucking well. Uh, Glacier Veins, I have never really mentioned them on the show before, so I'm going to do that for the first time right now. Uh, new single, Autonomy. I said I hadn't mentioned them on this show before. I've said their name at the very least because they had a single out back in October called Cover Me, which I did uh, mention as like one of those like, hey, here are these other singles, you know what I'm talking about, hopefully. Um, but I didn't give them their own dedicated time in that episode, but I'm going to do so right now for Autonomy because there's not really any way for me to not gas up this song the way that I think it deserves to be. So Autonomy feels very different from a lot of what I heard last week. This one's grounded in more like indie rock, I would say, than anything else. Yet, uh, what Glacier Veins have done with this kind of a sound is they've shown me like, hey, this is more than worth paying attention to. Like, this is the kind of band that easily has the potential to kind of, I don't want to say blow up in, in like a mainstream sense, but blow up in the sense of like, you know, somewhere down the line, people are going to be talking about Glacier Veins. It's going to be a band on more people's radars, on their lips, and I will be able to kind of like, uh, you know, egotistically say like, hey, I knew about them before any of you. Uh, not to like gatekeep shit because it's not cool, but um, it, it's, it's a little bit like, uh, it's not clout. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's cool to uh, seek out these bands beforehand, and that's how I feel about Glacier Veins right now. Autonomy, it's so catchy and soothing, and just kind of never really like lets you take a breather or take a moment to uh, examine what you're hearing. And I say that with it like not being heavy in the slightest. When I say indie rock, I mean that to the fullest extent possible. Uh, Autonomy is incredible. I love the song so much. So there was a pop punk song that dropped last week, and uh, I think it's time to talk about it. We really should go in detail about it. Lights out by In Her Own Words. Carving, carving, 
What, did you think I was going to say something else? No, I'm obviously talking about In Her Own Words. So, I remember discovering this band back in 2019. It was off of a song called Serotonin, and it was one of those instances where it's like, you know, you never heard this band before, but then you play this song, and it's like, I was meant to be in this spot at this exact moment hearing Serotonin. Um, so I've always kind of like had this, uh, I don't want to say an attachment to In Her Own Words for that song, but I have at the very least always paid attention to what they're doing. Um, so Lights Out. This one is like so true to what I love about pop punk and like the roots of that genre and, you know, taking on that sound that's been, um, predominantly, uh, what people would describe as pop punk for the last 10 years. I, I think with Lights Out, you know, you get like that, uh, that sense of like maybe like, uh, State Shams, Story So Far, Neck Deep. You can hear those influences potentially through, uh, Lights Out, yet it feels like, um, like so true to the identity and the character within In Her Own Words, and it feels like so molded to their own unique spin on the genre. It, it's like so, um, like emotional and just really has that like gripping nature that I adore so much about not just pop punk, but the scene at large. And there's no moment in Lights Out where I feel bored. There was no moment where I wanted the song to end. Like I was going back and forth on this song so many times about like being ranked higher in Tina Go Look. I think it's like at like nine or 10 right now. Uh, I say right now as if that can change, but it was at nine or 10. Uh, Trust me when I say, like, you know, this week was hard to rank for Scenic Over. Like, it genuinely was. Um, so many songs could have been in higher placements, and there's nothing truer than with Lights Out. This song is amazing, and if you consider yourself to be, like, a fan or a connoisseur or whatever for pop punk, you definitely, definitely need to seek this song out if you have not heard it yet. Okay, so let's get into the pop punk song that I know people are actually talking about. Uh, for better or worse, Mostly for worse for, from what I'm seeing. Uh, Emo Girl by Machine Gun Kelly featuring Willow. So it's an MGK song. That already makes it divisive. Um, and then you listen to it and I really, 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 really like this song, but I will acknowledge that it is quite dumb. The subject matter, the lyrical content, it's very, very cringy. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Um, but at the same time, I also just feel like given what the scene has kind of endured over the last month when it comes to the certain like tone and nature of some songs this is relatively harmless and i mean that with regards to falling universe dropping a cancel or anti-cancel culture song and then darko dropping a fucking anti-vax song which i think is infinitely worse than zombified or emo girl because like that shit can actually get you hurt and get you killed so um yeah fuck that but with Emo Girl, it's just, 
It's a harmless, dumb song, but it's harmless and dumb while also, in my opinion, being mad fucking catchy. I, God, like, this is weird because it's like, I, there's so much about Machine Gun Kelly that like, I don't want to be a fan of and it does rub me the wrong way, but at the same time, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, uh, you know, I've really warmed up to Tickets My Downfall in the almost year and a half that the that record has been out. I, you know, I listen to Concert for Aliens and uh, My Ex's Best Friend regularly, and I really think that's going to be the same story for Emo Girl. This song, in, in my opinion, is just really, really good. Yeah, it's cringy, and yeah, lyrically, it's bad. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe this should have stayed in the drafts, but in some way, I'm kind of glad that it didn't because I got to enjoy it. The final single that I will be giving its own dedicated spotlight to for this episode is the cover of Moon Over the Castle by Bring Me the Horizon. Yeah, you know, just casually bring me the horizon, casually, my favorite band of all time. Um, so, Moon Over the Castle was made for Gran Turismo 7. Just to give some background info on the song itself, uh, it was originally made by Masahiro Ando for the original Gran Turismo game back in, was it 95 or 96, I believe is when it dropped? Uh, maybe later on, I, I honestly wouldn't really remember well. Um... And then every uh, Gran Turismo game, there is like some variation of Moon Over the Castle implemented into the soundtrack. And for Gran Turismo 7, it just happened to be, be Bring Me the Horizon who got to make it. So um, it's an instrumental song. So this is like a Jordan Fish showcase, which I am always it's like so fucking down for those things. Uh, because Jordan Fish is like one of the coolest uh, minds in music right now, I think, uh, in terms of executing like ideas and concepts he is kind of at the top of the game honestly um and the thing about this track is it reminds me of something that like you would have heard off of Amo. yet later on you kind of have like a a guitar tone that initially i was like okay this feels like post-human and then i read some youtube comments where they were like uh this is the same guitar tone as in suicide season and that's when it hit me like holy shit it actually is and it's really cool to see, you know, these different facets of Bring Me the Horizon be incorporated into something like Moon Over the Castle, so given that this is for, you know, a pretty big game that's going to be launched soon. Um, yeah, this is just like a really, really cool, um, you know, little, uh, I guess, accolade for Bring Me the Horizon, and it's not like barrier shattering the way that I think a lot of their tracks are, but it's still really, really cool, and I really fuck with what they got to do with Moon Over the Castle. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Losing by Abyss Watching Me, Stigma by Advent featuring Awake at Last, Sink Into the Soil by Bloom, Full Circle by Hollow Valley featuring Tyler Shelton, Dead from the Start by Kill the Lights, Swan Song by Kublai Khan Texas featuring Scott Vogel, Is It Really You by Loathe and Sleep Token, Carry Me Home by Moontooth, Sledgehammer by Nothing Nowhere, Elail by Notions, KMB by Nova Twins, Wolves by Seek Harbor, 
Soul Purpose by Set for Tomorrow, Domino by The Hara, and Lavender by Windrunner. There was one song that I gave a 3 to, so that falls into the didn't mind or average category for myself, and that was Unheavenly Katikis by Father Befouled. Um, it was a production issue. I, I thought the mixing on it was like kind of really, really rough, yet um, wasn't so detrimental to the point where I couldn't enjoy the song. I like the ideas here, but again, just the execution and production, mixing all that stuff, it wasn't fully there the way that I would have liked for it to have been. So, yeah, those are all the singles, and now we'll get into some records. There are seven again. I don't know why seven is the constant number. It just feels like every fucking week, seven records somehow end up into my little scene stratosphere that I've made for myself. Uh, but, you know, whatever. We'll just go along with it. So, um, normally I would save the 10 out of 10 records for the end of an episode, but for some reasons, like kind of, uh, you know, reasons that are important to me, I want to go into this record first. And it is the brand new EP from Circus Survive called A Dream About Death. So the reason why I wanted to start with this EP was because uh, the same day that it released, just coincidentally, uh, an announcement was made by Circus Survive that the Blue Sky Noise 10-year anniversary tour will not be happening because of vocalist Anthony Green currently having um, some struggles with his mental health and he needs to, you know, kind of be away from touring and just be away from uh, that kind of a space and give himself you know, room and time to take care of himself. And I think that's very, very admirable and commendable. And for no reason should anybody be shaming Circus Survive or Anthony Green for making this choice because Anthony needs to take care of himself before anything else. That's what's most, what is most important here rather than going and performing some shows. Um, so I'd mentioned with like Craig Owens with uh, Destroyer Build Until God shows and then The Devil Wears Prada about like sentimental attachment to certain projects or artists rather because they were kind of there for me during my formidable years. Anthony Green used to be in Seosin. He was the original vocalist and he was part of the uh, Translating the Name EP which has seven years on it. Uh, you know, if you ask anybody around my age bracket, I'm pretty sure they'll tell you like, you know, a, a kind of a generic answer, but it's the real answer. Seven Years is one of the most important emo songs I've ever listened to. That song means the world to me. It has ever since I first heard it. It's one of the greatest songs of all time, in my opinion. And, you know, that kind of paved the way for me to follow not only Seosin, but also Anthony in everything that he did, which made it so easy for me to transition to Circus Survive later on and get into them. Um, and it, it's been cool to kind of follow them as part of Ulterior because, um, you know, some of the bands from back then or artists who meant so much to me growing up, they're not really doing a lot or they're not doing a lot that I can come onto the show and praise with regards to. Like, for instance, that Hawthorne Heights record from last year, I don't even remember the name of it. Um, it was very, very forgettable, in my opinion, and there wasn't really a lot about it for me to champion. Um, whereas with Circus Survive, they're doing so many really, really cool, neat things that make it so easy for me to gas them up the way that I would like to. 
sometime towards the end of 2021, Circuit Survive had the EP A Dream About Love, and I had a lot of really cool, nice things to say about it. I remember that much. It didn't make my top 50, but it was one of those records that was like at least in contention for at, you know, maybe like a ladder spot on that list. Um, and then with A Dream About Death, I feel like they've taken what was happening with A Dream About Love and have just expanded these concepts in a way that like I can't help but like applaud Circus Survive and feel so thankful and privileged to be able to call myself a fan of theirs. There was only one single uh, beforehand to support this EP, that having been Electric Moose, which serves as the opener for A Dream About Death, and it has like this kind of weird, like in some ways, like an 8-bit or a 16-bit backing, and that electric or electronic um, exploration on Pyro Circus Vibe, it really, really pays off, and it gives way for Anthony to kind of like have center stage and be the focal point and the attention of this track the same way that he is the remainder of the EP. And for me, that is a win because I think Anthony is and will always be one of the best voices I've ever heard in scene music. Once you get to the second song, uh, Kurochiba, I think you're given more of what makes Circus Survive so cool and memorable in my opinion and again the way that the band kind of like forms itself around anthony's voice and the way that he's able to let that enchanting voice just soar um while also delivering some like really really heartfelt lyrics and in the place of love where everything gets passed around everything you want you want less light when i support you all and everything you've done for me everything you want you're not a savior again like just it's crazy to think about like how long at this point this guy has been like such a a pillar in C music for me and it's something that I don't ever want to take for granted and you know I, I think maybe kind of understanding more like the person right now going through certain turmoil it's made me understand that there have been moments where I did take that for granted and I I'm thankful for having this kind of a platform in this instance because it gives me a chance to share with all of you the love that I have for this figure who I feel like has always been there for me. Um, Late Nap is, as of right now, my favorite song on this EP, and it's the one where I feel like the band kind of has more room to like grow out of their roles and not really like uh, gas up Anthony, but rather just like exist alongside him. And I think that was a really cool change of pace from the two prior singles or songs rather. And um, after that, you get into discount on psychic readings. That one, like not to like uh, talk about like psychic or whatever, but like a psychedelic feel is kind of what I'm able to pull out of the sound. It's just like this really strange um, effect to everything that's happening. And it's a really, really cool concept. I enjoy what's happening with Discount, and it's able to kind of differentiate itself from everything else prior and after, for that matter. The two songs thereafter, Die on the West Coast and Buzzhenge, those kind of achieve similar things in the sense of being able to have the same kind of beauty and euphoria as tracks like Kurochiba and Late Nap, while being muted in a lot of ways in comparison in terms of just like Sonic's uh, tone and all that stuff. Uh, so for me, this EP shows like Circus Survive can really take whatever pacing and sound they want to and relay this like immense beauty that, you know, makes it all the more like hard to stomach knowing that the person behind this voice is going through so much right now. And like, you know, I, I, I think understanding that end of what's happening with Circus Survive currently 
like I found out about that after hearing um, A Dream About Death and I already adored the EP at that point. And then understanding afterwards what's happening right now with the band, it paved the way for this new appreciation, having this new light shining onto the subject matter. And I think this is an instance where, you know, a band being open and honest with their audience about vulnerability it gives a lot back to the art. And I really, really enjoy that about a dream about death. And I enjoy that about circus survive as a whole. So, you know, this was my favorite release last week. I really, really fucking adore this EP. I've gone back to it so many times. I, I love the kind of mindset that it puts me in and just how like, um, like calming and peaceful it is while also being just a little bit like nerve wracking in certain instances when it comes to the lyricism. Um, so you know, having said all that, um, go listen to Dream About Death, go listen to anything from Circus Survive. This is an incredible band and all of the, you know, good vibes possible in the world to Anthony Green. And I hope that he can, uh, resume the, uh, the journey with Circus Survive that I have been, uh, such a fan of. If you guys hear some noises in the background, it's just my cats playing with some stuff. Don't mind them. They're usually not in my room when I record, but I just let them be here right now. What the fuck? Oh, he's scratching my um, the headboard on my bed. Never mind. Um, okay, so next EP comes from Afterthought, and it is called Dark Matter. I didn't go into this EP blind per se, but I had little exposure to Afterthought, at least in comparison to what had actually been part of the record rollout per se. So like um, Life Like This, the closing track on Dark Matter, that was the only single beforehand that I was familiar with. Um, you know, there was When I'm Gone and Hurricane as the other two singles, and I, you know, I, I do wish I had heard of them prior. Um... I will say immediately off like the top of this uh, review that of everything I reviewed as far as records go last week, Afterthought was my least favorite. However, that's also me acknowledging the strength of last week and how incredible I thought the rollouts or the records were rather. I keep getting words mixed up right now. Um, and for Afterthought to be the least uh, notable record last week with an 8.5 out of 10 for me, that is still speaking to the quality of this EP and what I thought that they were able to achieve with little experience to their name so far. Um, so the closing track, Life Like This, I mentioned that already as a single. I enjoyed what that did as far as like creating this atmosphere that has like blends of like alt metal and um, I guess industrial in some senses. There, there are moments on this EP where the comparison I want to draw is um, the Imminence album from last uh, November, Heaven and Hiding, with some like uh, electronic and industrial type sonic flares going into that sound. And I think it works really, really well, especially to the advantage of Afterthought. The EP opens with the title track, which is kind of just meant to be like this intro interlude type of song. And then that goes into Disconnect. And with Disconnect, I think that gives you a really good understanding of what you're going to be listening to with the rest of this EP. I really enjoy how like scaled back the verses sound and how it kind of just lets the atmosphere build itself perfectly. And then that leads into the chorus that is like really catchy and just like kind of in some ways moving. It's a little bit strange, but I really felt that um, attachment to Disconnect almost immediately. 
Um, I think When I'm Gone is another good example of what this band can achieve when slowing things down and how immaculately well that gets across. Um, and while I'm mentioning that, I will say that the uh, Hurricane, which was a single beforehand, that was one of the songs where, or maybe the only song rather, where I thought the chorus kind of just felt like slightly underwhelming in comparison to the rest of the material here and it's still a good song i really really enjoyed it i just couldn't really put it on that same pedestal as everything else here um and then respite was another weird point it's the uh the interlude between the victim and life like this and with respite it just kind of felt a little bit unnecessary it was really cool i liked the way it sounded but i questioned the necessity of it and since i just mentioned the victim i will say that that is pretty easily my favorite song on uh, this record. Maybe not easily because Disconnect is also really, really good, but there's just something about the victim's execution and how it like is able to take what I've been mentioning so far about feeling like atmospheric and giant while also just like really uh, playing to the melodic sensibility of this band and what they're able to accomplish when that is the kind of sound that they set out to, um, you know, like uh, dive into, I suppose. I don't really know how to phrase that anywhere else. Um, and, and yeah, like with Dark Matter, I think there are a lot of really, really neat ideas here. A lot of them, the most, most of them actually are executed really, really well and with the prowess of a band that you wouldn't think they're this early into their tenure. Um, and then there are just like maybe some moments where I think some, you know, little bit of tweaking could have been, um, like really, really advantageous to the overall execution of a Dark Matter. But again, a really, really cool EP. I enjoyed it and I cannot wait to hear more from Afterthought in the future because I am now expecting the next project, whether it be an EP or a full length album to be even, uh, you know, more grandiose than Dark Matter already is. Let me get into another EP right now. That being Dark Cycles by Lightwave. female fronted band out of the uk so you know this fucks already um so with dark cycles i had kind of been paying attention to the rollout for this ep i had reviewed uh revive grudge and fake as the prior singles for dark cycles and so that encompasses almost half of the ep uh, generally and i would say that what those uh, three tracks accomplished was letting me know that this is a band that you know they have their sound down they know how to execute these concepts kind of flawlessly i think maybe production and mixing is the only end of this ep where I think there could be some improvements made, but uh, I will mention this that I'm not necessarily somebody who is uh, warranted to be speaking about production and mixing when one of my favorite records ever is To Better Days by Slaves and or to Rain City Drive rather. And I understand that that one's not necessarily the most um, well versed record when it comes to mixing and production, but you know, whatever. Uh, but, anyways, back to Lightwave Grudge, which features Connor Hallisey from Our Hollow, Our Home. That was the one where I was like, man, this band just gets it. Like, I really, really enjoy the, like, um, the constant nature of that song in the sense that, like, it never really gives you a pause or a break. It never really slows itself down. But saying that, it's not heavy, really. It's just like this catchy, fun, energetic, like, um, alternative metal song that I think really gets across what it is that Lightwaves set out to achieve with Dark Cycles. 
And even with the other songs here that were not singles, you get the same kind of feeling or admiration rather out of... Actually, real quick, no, I made a mistake. It's six songs in this EP, so half of the record was already released beforehand. Uh, Dopamine is the second track, not a single. And uh, again, just really, really catchy, just like really um, speaks to what uh, Lightwave are able to accomplish already. Um, I really like the little like uh, electronic jingle that started Dopamine. It has like a... I don't want to say it reminds me of Al City by Fireflies, Owl City by Fireflies. Fireflies by Owl City. What the fuck am I doing right now, man? Um, but it kind of does remind me of that a little bit. Uh, Damage, which appears as the fourth track, that is my favorite song on this EP. Uh, came really, really close to making it into Scenic Overlook. And I just think that song like really shows off the catchiness and the infectious nature of the courses that Lightwave are able to compose. And it's the kind of song that has like... um like some 2000s flares to it when it comes to like post-hardcore, that kind of stuff. I don't know. There's just something about the guitar work in particular that really reminds me of that kind of a nature, that kind of a tone. And for someone like myself who grew up on that shit, like this really, really does it for me. And then the closing song, Serenity, that one's kind of slow in comparison to everything else that's happening with Dark Cycles, but it has the same punch, the same ferocity, the same energetic feeling, the captivating nature of Serenity is still there. And captivating is what I want to say in regards to the entire EP, Dark Cycles. I really, really like this. I give it a 9.5 because it feels like this is more so like a teaser or a taste for what could be coming in the future from Lightwave. This is a band that people need to be paying attention to. I really, really fuck with Dark Cycles. I fuck with Lightwave altogether and yeah if you just like catchy you know alt metal uh songs with like a little bit of like post-hardcore hints to it you need to check out dark cycles it is fucking outstanding uh i'll go ahead and get into the other ep the last remaining ep right now that being the new release from soft cult called year of the snake It's actually not the last EP remaining for this episode. That was my bad. Uh, so Year of the Snake. This follows up Year of the Rat, which was the soft cult debut EP from last April, I believe. And one of the things about that EP that bleeds into this one, Year of the Snake, is that there was a track put out by soft cult probably around this time a year ago called Uzumaki. And it was, I'm assuming, meant to be a single for Year of the Rat. However, it was pulled from everything, all Spotify, uh, you know, Apple Music, YouTube, every possible place you could have gone to stream this track, it was just uh, abruptly gone. And that was because of the amount of people giving soft cult shit for the song sounding similarly to a uh, two-way mirror by Loathe. And I kind of went on a spiel about this on one of the early, early episodes of this show. I don't recommend listening to it because I fucking hate those episodes. The quality is shit. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I'll just kind of summarize it here. Uh, that is a little dick energy, in my opinion, to come after this band for that reason. Um, <clears throat> I can go on and on about how low, you know, kind of has like more than just a couple of death tone influences all throughout their tracks. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so I really thought that was like shitty and unfair to soft cult. Uh, but one of the good things and one of the coolest things about Year of the Snake is that Uzumaki is on here. So we got fucking Uzumaki Redemption. That shit stays. You can't fuck with this, man. Uh, and what I mean by you can't fuck with this, you can't like, um, like mess with soft cold, I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> that was a weird way to phrase that. 
Anyways, Uzumaki is on here. It still sounds just as great as it did a year ago. Fucking stellar track, and I'm really, really happy that Softcore were able to finally get it on a project. But um, this will be kind of a, not rushed, but just a bit of a, uh, yeah, rushed, whatever. This will be kind of a bit of a rushed uh, review for this EP because there's nothing here that's actually brand new. So every track was released as a single beforehand, uh, Spit It Out, House of Mirrors, uh, BWBB, Perfect Blue, and Gaslight. And then Uzumaki is the only, I guess, like new song on here. But again, Uzumaki is already about a year old at this point. Uh, so I have kind of reviewed in some way all of these tracks already for Ulterior, uh, but the material is still like as hard-hitting as it was back when I heard these songs initially as singles, especially BWBB, which stands for Boys Will Be Boys, and how that song, it feels like a... So a lot of what encompasses uh, Year of the Snake is like this 90s feel, and that goes into different areas like indie, shoegaze, grunge. Boys Will Be Boys kind of has like more of like this alternative feeling to it. Um, I, I don't really want to make comparisons just because like uh, of the female lead vocals, but um boys will be boys i get like senses of like l7 and um hole through that track and just like kind of i guess soundgarden too really soundgarden is kind of prominent through a lot of the material here actually um you know it has like that straightforward just like alternative feel that energetic nature to it it's just so laid back while also being like you know very poignant in what it's trying to get across um, you have like a song like House of Mirrors, which is, uh, kind of like le leans, uh, very, very heavily into that shoegaze sound that I just mentioned. And then it's a similar story with other songs or singles rather like Perfect Blue and Gaslight. And overall, I would say that, uh, for Year of the Snake, I prefer this as an, uh, like an entire package over Year of the Rat. However, uh, I, I gave it a nine and a half. And the reason why it was not a 10 was because there is one song on Year of the Rat that I prefer over anything on Year of the Snake that having been Young Forever. Young Forever is still to me the embodiment of Soft Cult. That is my absolute favorite Soft Cult track yet. And there isn't anything, a lot of great songs on Year of the Snake for sure, but there's not a single track I can point to and be like, that is this record's Young Forever. I guess Boys Will Be Boys is the closest that it gets. And it does get pretty close, let me say that. But Young Forever is the one thing that kind of keeps me from looking at Year of the Snake and saying that this is a perfect release. Uh, let's say there is a third Soft Cold EP or a, a Soft Cold album altogether. Um, just something uh, akin to like say you you have a song on there like young forever but the rest of the ep or album surrounding it is embodied similarly to year of the snake that is a perfect release that is where i think soft cult should be headed that's why I, at least i want them to be heading in and yeah i really really like, like this ep i like everything that soft cult is doing go check them out go support them uzumaki forever so now I will get into what is actually the last EP for this episode, but there were two albums afterwards, so we're still going to be here for a minute. Uh, it is Disposable Life by Knucklepuck. So Knucklepuck is a fairly big pop punk band, I would say. I'm checking their... So they have 539,970 monthly listeners as of this recording. So yes, they are definitely up there when it comes to like size and stature uh, for the uh, pop punk scene. And I guess just the, the alternative scene in general. Knucklepuck is a kind of band that, you know, I think more people in the scene are aware of them than those who are not. 
Um, so this is the first project by the band since 2020. That was the record out back in 2020. Uh, I remember that album came out the same day as The Path by Fit for a King and No Good Left to Give by Movements. So it was like, actually, I think there was a Yours Truly. Was Self Care by Yours Truly that day as well? That was a stacked fucking day, wasn't it? Um, admittedly, 2020 by Knuckle Puck was the record that I listened to last of that mixture. Um, but I really did enjoy it. There's a track on there called Tune You Out that I really, really, really fuck with. Um, and I would say Knuckle Puck just in general, like that's what I would say I feel towards them. They're the kind of band that I really enjoy listening to. I have never really gone out of my way to check them out, but whenever they happen to, you know, come across my little uh, zone for the scene, I try to show them all of the love and admiration in the world because I, I think they deserve that. Um, if I go backwards from 2020, you have Shapeshifter from 2017, which there's a song on there called Double Helix that I think it's still like the pinnacle of Knuckle Puck and it's still the track that I point to and say that is who they are. But I will say now that the opening song to Disposable Life, Gasoline, which was also a single prior, that actually comes close to uh, overthrowing Double Helix as my favorite Knuckle Puck song ever. I just think it's like a really, really good, like kind of aggressive in some ways, but also just really catchy, melodic pop punk song that speaks so heavily to what it is that I adore about the genre. And lyrically, Gasoline is also just like really, really fucking um, like appropriate, I guess is one way to put it. Throw gasoline on an open flame, sit back and wonder who's to blame, just can't stand the same damn endless routine, cause it's all gonna lead to a disposable life. So there being the mention of disposable life, the EP name, uh, gasoline is just incredible, I love it, and I don't know if I've really, really shown it the like appropriate amount of love and attention on this show so far this year, but let me say now, gasoline is really, really fucking incredible. Uh, the two songs that follow Gasoline, those being Levitate and In the Bag, Levitate was a single beforehand. I think those two songs kind of share a lot of similarities sonically to Gasoline, and they kind of venture into the same territory. I don't think they're as good as Gasoline, but they're still incredible songs in my opinion. And then the other two songs remaining, Lonely Island and Here's Your Letter, those were two portions where I thought like uh, Knuckle Puck kind of scaled things back slightly, yet it's still just like really, really... Um, like so true to who they are i guess uh lonely island has like this kind of emotional backing to it. it's kind of hard to put into words but that's like what is coming to my head and then here's your letter i don't know if anybody else would like you know pick up on this kind of a comparison but here's your letter reminds me of ocean avenue by um yellow card that was kind of just what was speaking to me so i guess i'm saying like here's your letter feels like a summer song and a sad summer song but a summer song nonetheless um, so I ended up giving this EP a 9 out of 10, and I really do like what is happening here on Disposable Life, but I will say that I don't think it kind of, you know, takes too many chances. I don't think it really tries to differentiate itself from prior Knuckle Puck material. It kind of blends in with what's happening on 2020 and probably Shapeshifter as well, honestly. Uh, so, you know, was the EP really necessary? maybe i don't really know i kind of tend to think like maybe these tracks could have just been part of the next full-length record out of knuckle Puck, and that would have made more sense but regardless i'm happy to have at least been able to get new material out of knuckle Puck right away and again gasoline is the kind of song that i will be returning to over and over again time and time again throughout the rest of this year so those were all the EPs. Now, again, there are two albums to get through. The first one coming from Smart Death, and it is called It's Fine. Sure 
this name is kind of my brand. I generally say it's fine to everything, even when things are not fine. So there is already this kind of attachment I have to uh, this uh, record. Why am I blanking on shit now? <laughs> There's already an attachment to this record because I kind of feel what's happening here. So Smart Death is uh, taking the concept of it's fine and using it as part of like this new or the new uh, pop punk revival scene that, you know, I've talked about ad nauseum and I'm pretty sure every other, you know, alternative platform has done the same thing. So when you think of like artists like MGK, uh, Lil Huddy, Jaden, you know, those are the kind of artists that come to mind. I think like now you can like throw Swaco, uh, Maggie Lineman into that mix, even though I think maybe they kind of like differentiate, them differentiate themselves enough. Same with Lolo. Uh, so Smart Death takes It's Fine. And again, just kind of like, Nothing is happening here that I haven't heard from other artists, yet the way that Smart Death goes about crafting these songs makes him a standout artist in the pop-punk revival scene. Again, even if maybe sometimes he doesn't really do much to differentiate himself from his contemporaries. Um, so I don't know if this is where the record cycle started, but the first single that I remember hearing was Everything's Fucked, and that was back in September of last year. Everything's Fucked really fits right in with the whole pop punk stuff I'm talking about and just like uh, the incorporation of like certain hip hop elements and you can even hear that on the other singles like Misfits and Sober. Sober is this fucking packed out single. It has uh, Lil Aaron, Lil Lotus and Boyfriends on the track so that's a really really cool way of bringing more artists on uh, and similarly uh, to like what I've been mentioning about bringing a new or uh, not new artists but just other artists onto this record. Uh, Adding Up which is the last single prior to the record's release features Mark Hoppus the vocalist of Blink-182 so Oh, yeah, there is a lot going on here that fits into the whole pop punk narrative uh, that you can find anywhere in the scene today. Um, at its core, It's Fine is a sad boy record. It's an emo record. And a lot of these record or songs here on this record can kind of, I think, be taken as anthems to that, uh, that tone and that nature. And I really, really like that about It's Fine. So like the two opening songs, All My Friends Are Pissed Off and She Always Gets What She Wants. Uh, the titles really don't... Uh, deter too much from what is going on lyrically with those tracks it really does speak to again the whole like sad boy nature of the pop punk revival scene and i really really do like that about this record um i think if you're after the kind of record that is going to revolutionize pop punk revival and like you know be something that stands out from other projects in that scene uh, it's fine is probably not what you're after. Again, I don't think it's necessarily the kind of record that I'm going to point to as like a standout from the scene. You know, it, like when it comes to that scene, I can look at uh, Paranoia by Maggie Lindemann and say definitively, in my opinion, that is the pillar of pop punk revival. And then you go into Overkill by Lolo before that. And then, you know, maybe the Jaden record before that. And then after that, it kind of... Some of it all blend together, and I don't doubt that in the future, that's what can happen to It's Fine, but at least in the present moment, I am really, really enjoying the time that I get to sp spend with um, It's Fine, and uh, again, like the, the mixture of like pop punk with hip-hop elements, I like it when artists are doing that. It, it really, really does feel like the, uh, the embracing of genres that maybe couldn't have been there 20 years ago or so, back when like I was in uh, elementary school, then eventually middle school. Because back then, it kind of felt like these were two forces that had to be opposing each other. Like, you couldn't really listen to hip-hop and emo. You kind of had to, like, pick a side, per se, which is really stupid, but that is what was happening. And then now, with a record like It's Fine, and just in general, with artists like Smart Death, there's 
like this a narrative now that I really wish I'd been there in the past where it's like, you know, you can have these different sounds mingling with each other. It's okay. And not even just mingling with each other, but working alongside each other. So there is a back-to-back stretch of songs on this record, What I Wanted and IDEK. What I Wanted, it's it's pop punk at its core. Like That is what's happening there through and through. And then IDEK feels more kind of like close to SoundCloud hip-hop than anything else. And again, like... I really enjoy what Smart Dits is able to do taking these two genres and either like, you know, having one song be this way, then the next song be the other, or just putting them together and being like, fuck it, this is what I want to do. And I think that's really, really cool. Uh, the penultimate song, Got Right, is another example of Smart Death leaning more heavily into hip hop. But just like IDEK, like it's hip hop done in a way that feels still emo and still seen. And I think it's a good showcase of this guy's versatility. Uh, the only song on here that like slightly, slightly missed the mark for me personally was the closing track. It's also the title track. It's fine. There's something on the production end of it that feels not up to the standards set by every song prior. And that was the, where it kind of lost me momentarily. I still like it as a song. I just thought as a closer, it falls short in some ways and it did hinder the records, uh, like impact on me last week to some extent but not a great extent i think it's fine is full of just really catchy moving heartfelt songs that you know if you're coming for the pop punk side or the hip-hop side you're going to find what you're looking for and then also that perfect balance that you just get sucked into no matter what the final uh album to be discussed on this episode i didn't know this was coming out this friday until last week and that was completely on me i fucked up so It is the brand new record from As It Is called I Went to Hell and Back. So let me kind of uh, date myself right now when it comes to my exposure to As It Is. So, as it is, is fronted by somebody named Patty Walters, who I first heard of him through YouTube covers. And I remember being a freshman in college in my dorm room. This was in September of 2013. Yeah, I'm, this sucks, dude. I'm getting old. Um, so I, I don't know why this is like so vivid in my head, but it is. I chose to skip my history class on some random Thursday just to like sleep and then eventually just like walk to the food court, which the food court is like in the same vicinity as the history class. So I don't really know why I just didn't go. It is what it is. Uh, but I was kind of just browsing YouTube and this is right before uh, Tour to Live, Tour to Die by Panic at the Disco came out. So I was like kind of just like going through that, some of that stuff. And there was a video recommended to me by YouTube's algorithm and it was Patty covering This is Gospel. And I listened to it and I just thought like, this guy is fucking amazing. He is so fucking talented. And like, I didn't really hear about him again until I just saw that his band got signed to Fearless Records at the beginning of 2015 and they dropped the video for Dial Tones, which is the lead single off of Never Happy Ever After. To this day, Dial Tones is one of my favorite As It Is songs ever. It might be one of the most important songs I got to hear all of the 2010s decade. Um, and then even when you go into the year after where they put out the deluxe edition of that record, there's a new song on there called Winter's Weather. Winter's Weather, I kind of default to when I'm feeling sad in the wintertime, which is every day. Um, just an amazing song. And it really like elevates as it is to a level that maybe a band as early as they were into their careers should not have been. 
And then you get into the record, the two records after that, uh, which I think are maybe they're more like uh, defining records, I guess. Okay, and the Great Depression. So just from what I've been able to observe online and like through conversations I've had people on Twitter or Discord or whatever, uh, the Great Depression is like considered to be the record for as it is. And I don't argue that point. If somebody says the Great Depression is their favorite as it is album, I totally get it and I totally understand where they're coming from. But for myself personally, OK is one of the best albums I have ever listened to. I was going through a lot back when OK, and I don't doubt that this had an, inf- uh, uh, an impact on that. I was going through a lot personally back when OK dropped in January 2017, January 20th, 2017, I believe is the exact day. Um, and then even in the lead to that record, like the, the title track OK being released as the lead single in September of, the, of 2016, or maybe it was October, I don't remember precisely. But my point is that OK means the world to me. And then there were so many songs on there that I go back to all the time. It's not just OK, the title track, it's Patchwork Love, it's The Coast is Where Home Is, it's Hey Rachel. I'm going to say this right now, The Coast is Where Home Is, still to this day, my favorite as it is song, my absolute number one favorite. And I just... Cannot get enough of that record. Uh, the Great Depression is great. I love what they did with that. I love how different it is and how, uh, as it is, kind of went into like their uh, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge era with that record. But to me, OK is where I look at as it is and I say, that is where they were at with their peak. That This is that band operating at the highest fucking level possible. But having said all that, it's not fair for me to try and compare I Went to Hell and Back. I end up doing this, but it's not fair for me to compare I Went to Hell and Back to OK or The Great Depression because there is something different about the uh, execution of I Went to Hell and Back. It feels purposely like... Uh, less polished i would say it has it's a lot rough around the edges and i think that works really really well to the narrative and the tone set by this record because it is really dark in comparison to okay and the great depression even though those are already two pretty dark records records to begin with so the cycle for this began with idgaf back in may of last year so this has been a long time coming and idgaf you hear it and immediately from the first opening lyrics you get the sense of the disparity found within this record Close my eyes and cross my fingers, I don't wake up, because I don't really want to die, but I really don't give a fuck. And then even outside of IDGAF, I think the rest of the singles really paint the picture, the malevolent, dark, black picture that is I Went to Hell and Back, and just like how, uh, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, emo it sounds. So it's I Lie to Me, I-L-Y, How Are You, IDC, I Can't Take It, and I Miss 2003. And again, it just feels like this band purposely like made this record not so polished, and like this was tactically done to kind of embody what the band has been feeling in the cycle between the Great Depression and I Went to Hell and Back. I remember reading about Nirvana having done something similar in uh, the time between, uh, or rather the transition from Nevermind into In Utero, and how with In Utero they wanted something that purposely sounded like more garage bass and not so polished and fine-tuned and tweaked to perfection. Uh, so I went to hell and back having that similar tone for it. I think really, really works. Um, so the record, I, I, there's nothing really happening distinctively between the first, the, the first half and the second half, but I look at it as halves because in the first half, or I guess just the first six songs, you have all the singles I mentioned, and then I'd rather die, which I'd rather die has a little bit of a hip hop flair to it. It was really, really cool and like kind of took me aback. Um, and then you get into I'm sick and tired and it feels like that is where the record like really, really fucking like, uh, you know, kicks it into another gear per se. And it really, really just kind of like channels this, uh, 
okay so it feels like the first six songs on this record were like building themselves up and then you get to i'm sick and tired and it's just as it is like just finally finally letting loose like i'm sick and tired is just like so catchy and chaotic while not really being all over the place in terms of what's happening in the instrumentation or even the vocals but it just has like this aggression to it and then speaking of aggression that goes right into the next track i want to see god i want to see god is fucking flawless this song feels more akin to like the aggressive nature of as it is that we've seen glimpses of i remember there's a song on okay called austin that you can sense like something similarly happening there and with i want to see god it feels like just so like more like alternative based instead of the like emo nature of the rest of the material prior um, so I kind of made a mistake in talking about the singles rollout in threes was a single that I missed that featuring set it off and Jody Perp in threes. I think kind of has like a little bit more like not more but like a little bit of that same aggressive nature that I was speaking about but it's just done differently. It's a little bit scaled back. It's a lot more muted but I can still sense it being there. Um, I Hate Me Too is another song that speaks to the heavier side of as it is that I just mentioned with I Want to See God, and then that goes into I'm Gone. I'm Gone feels like it could have been right at home on the record okay. Um, and then I Die a Thousand Times and I Can't Feel a Thing, the louder featuring Telly Smith from The Ward Alive. Those two kind of have more of like the, uh, the emo nature that you could somewhat find on the first half of the record, but again, there's still enough of like more of what makes as it is so fleshed out mixed into these two songs. And the Telly feature, you know, does a lot to really emphasize how great of a song I Can't Feel a Thing really is. And then the closing song, which is the title track, I Went to Hell and Back, really soft and somber and like kind of ballad-esque in, in terms of like what else is happening with the record. Uh, but it works really, really well to perfection, I would even say. And it does its job in giving I Went to Hell and Back the proper closer that it deserved. Um, so I think there's still a little bit of room for this record to grow in terms of how I view it. Because right now, I look at that second half and I think this is so dominant over the first half of the record. Not like by a long, a large margin, really, but it's still noticeable to me. So I want to spend more time with this record. I give it a nine and a half because I feel like it's the kind of record that with more listens, you know, the passing weeks and months, this is going to elevate itself for me. I can sense that, you know, the attachments I had to the Great Depression and okay, it's going to be there with I Went to Hell and Back. I just need to give it a little bit more time and attention, but it's going to get there. I have no doubt that it will. Um, as it is, this was well worth the near four-year wait for it. Um, I think this is the kind of band that, you know, we are championing, but maybe we can just do it more because right now they're at 645,000 listeners on Spotify, which is great. And then, you know, their top songs are like in the millions range, but I just want more for this band because I feel like they've put in too much work over the years for more people to not be talking about them. And that was it. That was every single album and EP I had to dis discuss this week. Um, so yeah, this episode went up really late and I do apologize for that. But at the same time, like, I don't want to make myself feel bad for missing the imaginary deadline of Wednesday because for pretty much six months from August to now, I uploaded the weekly episode every single Wednesday for that many weeks in a row, that many months in a row. So, you know, I, I want to convince myself that I've done enough to, you know, not allow myself to feel bad for being late one week. It should be okay. You know, maybe this episode doesn't get as many listens because it's going up late, but you know, it is what it is. I had a good time explaining why I adore all these songs and these albums and EPs. So, you know, it is what it is. It'd be what it'd be. In the words of Smart Death, it's fine. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.